Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Manny Cernelia, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the co-founder and CEO of Flyhound, which can be found at flyhound.com. Correct. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Just give us the backstory, and then we'll talk about your startup. Sure. So, you know, I, I'd like to tell people that I'm a big nerd and uh, I've, I've grown up in the telecommunications industry. Uh, you know, mobile phones have been the, the crux of everything that I do since uh, since school. Uh, I worked for AT&T. I worked for HTC. We manufactured Android phones. Um, and now we're doing Flyhound. Um, but I love everything that technology does. It's something that, you, you know, everyone carries with them all the time, everywhere they go. It's You spend more time with your phone than pretty much anything else. And... Um, so how do you get into the technology? You said you, you got interested as a ch- uh, when you were younger. How do you get into, into the mobile market? You know, funny enough, I think uh, we used to get circulars in the newspaper. And when I was very young, Radio Shack, which is a store that unfortunately is no longer here, they used to advertise uh, cell phones for a penny. And, you know, as a child, I didn't understand the, the, the thoughts of, you know, getting into an annual contract. So I, I went into Radio Shack one day with a, a shiny penny ready to walk out with my cellular phone. Uh, and, and they unfortunately wouldn't give me one. But, uh, you know, everything from from the, the start of making calls from wherever you were to, to you know, getting into text messaging. And then the, the dawn of Internet data uh, was there for the birth of the iPhone and, you know, everything in between. So it's been a, a tremendous ride. I remember when I saw my first cell phone. Uh, my wife and I were in Vail, Colorado. Gerald Ford, former president, was vacationing there, and we were in a van driving up from the Denver airport with some Secret Service guys in the back, and they had these big shoe boxes <laughs> that were their cell phones. <laughs> it's certainly come a long way, right? It's come a long way. And then I remember, I remember when we had we had the PDAs, the personal digital assistants, and then the little flip phones. And I said, someday they're going to merge all this. And of course, Apple did that a couple of years later, and the rest is history. I mean, it really has changed our lives in many ways. So tell us about um, Flyhound. Sure. So Flyhound is technology that we've uh, created to help public safety agencies to start, uh, locate and identify cell phones on the ground. Uh, we built this technology to help people and help help the public in emergency situations. Uh, so whether it's a missing person, uh, someone who gets lost in a national park and has their phone on them, uh, public safety agency can fly the drone and locate that cell phone, even if there's no service, uh, to really help rescue people faster. And that was our initial use case. Uh, but we learned uh, throughout time that there's a lot of other use cases that can help people. Uh, if you think natural disasters, we could fly a drone over a neighborhood after a natural disaster has gone through and help uh, tell you which homes still have cell phones inside to give rescuers homes to prioritize. Uh, and then, of course, criminal suspects, you know, helping the police uh, find criminals rapidly is is a key to saving lives in today's world. So drones, this is a drone based technology. It is. And it has the drones have a way of detecting phones. Do the phones have to be on? 
the phones do have to be on. Uh, they, they can't be in airplane mode. They have to have power. But you know, whether or not you have service is is relevant. And and it has a way of detecting the existence of the phone. Exactly. Your phone is constantly communicating with the network. So your phone exchanges these control messages with the cellular network to basically be ready to receive a phone call or a text message or transmit data that's coming in and out of your phone, so your emails. Uh, and that's how when you're driving a long distance, your phone can actually you know, hand off your current cell conversation from cell to cell along the highway. I know it's amazing technology. Um, so it's like it's pinging all the time. And what the, I, I take what the drone does is it picks up the pings. Exactly. In, in, in a sense. Okay, and then and then it can tran- it can it can send the data back to whoever the drone operator is and says, okay, we've got a phone here that's on and it's pinging, and if there's a phone, there's probably a person there too. That, that's our thesis, right? That's that's our our theory on this is that people, in no matter what situation, you're generally bringing your phone with you. If you're running out of your house, whether it's to go shopping or because there's an emergency and you need to leave quickly, your phone's probably one of the very few things you'll grab with you and take everywhere you go. Yep, pretty much. Um, it's funny how we become habituated to it. I, I, I don't even think about getting in my car without taking my phone with me. Because what happens, I live in the in rural area where there, there's nothing, right? We have the good cell service, but car breaks down. I'm stuck. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Agreed. And it's funny. I used, to, I used to be able to navigate from point A to point B in my head. And once I went somewhere once, I'd be able to do it again. But now we rely on GPS and maps so much that you know I, I use it to go to places I've been often. Well, I do. I do. I have the same ability. I mean, once I've been to somewhere, I, I don't forget. And I have very good spatial direction. But I've discovered that Waze, for example, will reroute me because it can read the traffic patterns. And if there's a wreck on a highway or something, I get get rerouted. And it's, sometimes it's more efficient. So it's amazing. So what is it? What is it that gets you excited every morning when you get up and say, oh, my God, another amazing day? You know, as as a leader, I think I've had uh, I've had the pleasure of working in many different roles across across you know the telecom industry. And one of the things that I've always said to our team, and and I take I take to the to heart the mantra that you should uh, you should basically work to live and not live to work. So you have to be in charge of your life and have have a strong view of of the things you do every day. Your phone helps you do that. Uh, but in reality, everything that we created, I always felt that they helped people. Uh, they helped you get the music you wanted to listen to or make restaurant reservations or take photos of the things you love. Uh, but it, it really never helped you save lives or it never helped you do something truly, truly important. Uh, sure, you can call 911 in an emergency and sure you can look up important information. Uh, but what really gets me going every day now with Flyhound is the idea that I'm taking something that I love and something that I've been passionate about pretty much my whole life and using it in a way that can that can help lots of people. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of need, uh, especially in the United States. There's over 600,000 missing persons reports filed every single year. That's 2,400 a day. There's there's some cases, few cases that make the national news, but every day in every community, there's there's people that that you know police and public safety agencies are looking for. Uh, it could be an elderly patient with dementia. It could be a child with autism that that's straight away. Uh, this is something that knowing that we're doing good in the community really helps me. So how, so now you really got me intrigued. How so you get a you get a missing person report and let's say the police department or the police they they put a drone up in the air and they just how do they even know where to send the drone? They send start start is there search patterns they go through or sure. So so initially, you know, it's it's 
based on the idea that, that police have some idea of, of where you've left from or, or where you might be. So if a missing hiker hasn't checked in with their family, uh, they know that, you know, the family might know where the trail has been. Uh, if your phone has service, so in a community where, you know, say an elderly patient wandered away from their home, uh, the, the cell phone carriers has a, have a rough idea where you are. So the police may work with, with you know, the operator that the, the person is using and understand the radius of where that person might be. Normally it's one to two miles. So with that one to two miles, police have a good understanding of where your phone might be. They'll, they'll go and deploy to that area, launch the drone. And then once the drone is up in the air, they'll be able to easily find where your cell phone might be. And it doesn't take long. No, not at all. We, we talk about how we're able to, to once you deploy the drone, within 30 minutes, uh, we'll be able to find where you are, as long as you're within range of our drone. Wow. And what's, what's, the, what's the basic range? It depends on the environmental conditions. So, you know, in national parks, you get a much wider range than, say, an urban area. Right. So in a national park, it's, it's probably over a little bit over a mile. And in urban areas, you're getting about 500 meters. Wow. Amazing. So what is it, what is it that you bring to the table that's unique? I mean, I can tell you're really passionate about this obviously. <laughs> of course, it, it, it's, you know, a, lot, a few things. So when, you know, obviously the background in telecommunications, both my co-founder and I, he's the more technical of the two. So uh, he, he brings a lot of the things around the algorithm and, and the, be able, the ability to locate someone rapidly. Uh, from a business perspective, you know, not only have I worked a lot in the telecom industry, but uh, during COVID, I started doing consulting with public safety agencies around drone programs. We learned that drones are something that's growing rapidly uh, across all public safety. And we're talking fire, police, search and rescue, emergency management uh, that do a wide range of, or solve a wide range of challenges that they face. Uh, but a lot of agencies were getting grant money and, and picking up drones and didn't have a, a strong, solid understanding of how to make the most of it, how to take their, their investment and really do the most amount of things for, for the community with it. So it helped me take that information and take that experience working with police and public safety uh, to build Flyhound together. Interesting. And so, so is the is the product that you're developing actually the drone itself, or is it is it something that goes on to say a, a standard commercial drone? No, it's it's all standard commercial drones. When, when very very early on when we started, we debated actually making drone hardware, but we know that agencies need their drones to be able to do a, a wide variety of of of, of features and, and needs for it. So we wanted to build something that attached to their existing drone. So what we do primarily is software. We have a, a small hardware module that includes a radio that attaches to those commercial drones to be able to complete that mission. And then and then. So what that so you got you got a little black box you you attach to the drone and and you're good to go and I suppose you've configured it so it, with most commercial drones they have attachment points that you can put put your device on exactly wow. exactly so where are you where are you in in the process in terms of going to market. So right now we have uh, what we call our early access program. So we're working with a, a number of agencies that are testing and using our product, uh, giving us feedback, helping us really make enhancements to the UI UX, uh, because we're developing the solution for them. And as much as uh, we think we'd like to know how to use it, it's, it's them who's going to be using it and giving us that feedback. Uh, so we, we intend to fully start commercial sales uh, later this summer and, uh, and, and really bring that out to, to a wide variety of agencies. We, we have an early access program application process that agencies can go through. And we have about 100 agencies right now in the pipeline that are waiting for delivery for our, our solution. Are you uh, you learning a lot through this process? Oh, my gosh. Every moment, every I think every moment of every day is, is a learning experience. It's, uh, it's, it's been incredible. Um, so this, this uh, my interest is in listing. I'm, I'm a lawyer turned peacemaker, and I've kind of figured out that listing is kind of 
an important overlooked skill. As a co-founder of a startup, how important is listening in, in your leadership work? That's a great question. That's one of the things that I think interested me most about having this conversation with you is uh, critical. It's a critical need that leaders uh, should have is to listen. Um, one of the things that, that we've learned early on is, is you really have to fall in love with the problem, not the solution. It's your customers face face these problems, and that's what they need uh, to have a, a solution for. Not necessarily, you know, you fall in love with your product, you fall in love with how you think it works, uh, but really to, to engage listening to your customers and listening to, to people in, in your orbit in business has been critical to our growth. Uh, when I started Flyhound, uh, we worked with closely with NEC, who's our, our pre-seed investor, and, and they have a venture studio program that helped us develop uh, everything from, from customer discovery to really bring this, helping us bring this to market faster. And, and the amount of knowledge and people that I've spoken to uh, that helped influence, you know, from a daily basis, the decisions we make uh, have been incredible. So everyone you speak to and listen to, especially listen to, I should say, is is. Uh, key to, to growth. And no matter who you are, no matter how many companies you founded or what your position might be, uh, listening is, is such an important key to that. Do you, do you, do you find that there are uh, people out there that are not particularly good listeners? Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, half of half of what what any leader does uh, in speaking with other people is is personality management and understanding you know who who the personalities that they're speaking to are and how to best and most effectively uh, deal with them and, and communicate with them. Uh, but everyone has something to say and everyone has different ways of saying it. And the information that they give you, as long as you can listen and process that in your head and and gather gather what you need to take out of it. Um, uh, certainly it's, it's, it's part of being a leader. Yeah. I talk, I talk about listening, uh, listen, listening to learn and, and no matter, no matter who you're talking to, always listen to learn. Um, uh, and there are other situations where you can listen to listen in order to deescalate, which is when you're dealing with messiness. That's an interesting, interesting question that just popped in my head. How much messiness do you have to deal with where you got relationship problems or people are arguing or fighting or you get into disputes? That you got as a leader, you have to come in immediate. Yeah, do you, do you face much of that? Sure. Luckily, I think I think here not as much. Um, I think you know we have a, a very strong team right now, and and the people that we've worked with have been uh, very very uh, mature in their their business relationships and, and being able to communicate. So that's been very helpful. But any leader does, I think, especially in startup world, especially in small business world, uh, the leaders of your organization uh, tend to wear many hats. I mean, you have to not only be the CEO and manage day-to-day -day business activities, but, you know, interpersonal conflicts between staff, understanding your customers, um, understanding the, the political motivations that your customers may have. Because when, in my case, as a small business, dealing with, with agencies and, you know, in reality, or small enterprises, there are, there are people with many lo different levels of organizations who all have different motivations. Um, you know, being able to, to manage through that and even mediate is, is such an important part of, of interpersonal relationships. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I, we live in a culture in a time where people have really stopped listening to each other at, at different levels, especially when we get into values or cultural values or politics and stuff like that. And so learning, learning how to listen and, and, and also um, deal with people who have value differences, I think is a, is a skill that really needs to be developed in people. Um, 
And I imagine, are you working, are the agencies you're working with, are they all over the U.S.? Are they in North America or are they mostly on the East Coast? Uh, all over the U.S. Uh, so we have agencies uh, from East Coast to West Coast. We're working right now with one in Canada as well, as, as, as well as one in Europe. And, and you're, learning, um, you're learning that your technology works. Yes. I remember we, you know, part of part of making this work and building the prototype was uh, we did a lot of testing and prototyping in Germany. Um, NEC has a, a laboratory in in Europe, in Germany, and uh, we had access to that laboratory. So we spent a lot of time there building and prototyping it. And to see it work for the first time, you know, you theorize it and you, you write it up and you build the algorithm and you you put it on a drone and to actually see it work, uh, being in the office and start to capture, you know, phones that are in the area and understand, you know, who, who they are and where they might be uh, was a tremendous accomplishment. Does it take, does, does your... Um... Technology take information off the phone, so they or can it just? I mean, does it really identify who the phone belongs to, or just no? It just pings it and says so, there's a phone here. So privacy is paramount to what we do, and and we decided that very early on. Uh, so no, we take zero information off the phone, so we we are not able to capture any information other than uh, the identity of who you are and the location of where your phone might be. And even when it comes to the identity, we use a unique serial number that your phone uh, broadcasts but is not identifiable by itself. So for example, we're not capturing your phone number, so we can't take that information and text message you or mark it to you in any way. Uh, <laughs> but that unique identifier information is able to uh, convert that uh, with a warrant in necessary situations uh, to that username and phone number where police might need that. Have any good stories to share yet about how you've been able to find people? Sure. You know, our first, our first use case was uh, a small park preserve in, in suburban New Jersey. And I was speaking with the police chief who was telling me uh, that often they get calls to 911 and, you know, people get lost on these hiking trails and they have to deploy officers to, to find these people. And they go out on ATVs and they spend, you know, an hour or two looking for these folks. And he's telling me this story. And in my head, all I could think about was they're calling 911, right? So they have cell phone service. You know, so I asked the chief, what, what prevents them from just opening up their map application and, you know, looking at the trails and walking out that way? And he laughs and he says, you know, not that many people would really truly understand how to read a map or how to use their phone in that way. So they might be, you know, afraid that the sun is going down and it's getting dark and they, they want to get out, uh, but they, they don't know how to use their maps. So we're in a business that, that the only way that I would be, be incredibly excited and happy to fail as a business is if people did better jobs planning and understanding not to get lost and and, and put us out of business in that way. Uh, if there was no one to save because because everyone is is doing the right things, then then you know I'm, I'm happy to, to close the doors. That, that, <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about that. You know, I mean, I've been an outdoorsman all my life, so reading maps, whether it's on a phone or a paper map, to me is second nature. But it, it never occurred to me that people who are not experienced in the outdoors would not think to open up their map and take their fingers and spread it out and find out where the blue dot is and then figure out how do I get out of here? Of course. Of Very course. Have you had any, have you, in the agencies that you're working with now, have you had any stories where they've actually been able to locate people using the technology? Uh, so, so we've been able to locate people. We're waiting for the day where we're, we're saving a life, uh, and that's that's really you know that that without our solution, uh, a person might might have might have passed. 
most of the agencies that we work with and agencies that have applied to work with us uh, have all have had stories in some shape or form that they've told us that that you know they've been called out to to find someone they they you know they they expend lots of resources and man hours and when they actually did find the person they were you know within dozens of meters of, of where they might have been and and you know had they had they had this technology they would have found them so that that motivates us to, to go even faster um so while well, we found you know probably 100 people plus in terms of uh minor situations or even testing where we've gone out and and, and validated things uh, how our solution works in different environments uh we've yet to save a life and that's that's what we're excited about that, that will come with time i'm sure so what's, what's been the reaction to the police agencies as they see this technology demonstrated you know, it's been very positive. I think that's that's one of the lucky things that that I feel from, or things I'm grateful about uh, in this business, is that we haven't yet spoken to an agency where we explain what it is that we do and what our solution does, and they look back at us and say, "No, we don't need that. We have no need for that, or no interest in something like this." Uh, a lot of the motiv motivations that they have might be budget related or or uh, political related, um, but but they've been very excited that this technology is available. We're we're basically taking uh, an ability, and there are other devices that that do things like this, but they're generally reserved for the largest of agencies because of the costs associated with with one of the devices. And we're the first and only device that actually will take this uh, take this solution and mount it on a drone or something aerial. So when it comes to use cases, it expands the number of use cases that agencies can use it for because the the solutions that are available now are all based uh, land vehicle based. So they're mounted inside of trucks or vans. Uh, so they work great in urban environments, but you know if someone's missing in a national forest, you can't exactly drive a, a police van through the woods and, and hope to find someone. So, and and I take it that you're going to the pricing is going to be such that it'll be affordable, especially for smaller agencies that run on tight budgets. That's that's one of our keys is affordability and making sure that a large amount of agencies have the ability to purchase this and and to be able to use it. Wow. Well, you're doing amazing work, Manny. I'm I'm uh, I'm impressed. Uh, I think that it. I can see why you're so excited about this. The the whole concept of being able to use a drone to locate somebody's phone quickly and efficiently will save lives, and I think it'll give search and rescue agencies, police, and fire a, a tool that is quick, affordable, and extremely accurate, and will be a great public service. So thanks for doing the work. Of course, that's the goal. I have one thing I'd like to mention that that uh, in listening to you, speaking about listening, really resonated with me. You had mentioned that when it comes to being a good listener that and and being a good leader, that you know you've learned that being soft is being strong and being vulnerable is being powerful. And these are things that in my last startup we had we had three values that we really focused on. That was a strong, soft, and magical, and that was that was how we described. You know, that, those were the three key attributes that you had to have uh, in in this organization. And it's something I take with us every day, and it's it's very true. Uh, in terms of personalities and, and managing people and listening, uh, I, I found that really listening and understanding your customer and understanding the people that you're talking to, uh, and and take trying to learn from anybody you speak with. Uh, is something that that I value so deeply that that I think has gotten gotten me to where I am today and, and has gotten our organization to where we are. The um, you're and you're in your spot on uh, the the you probably read about. I mean, when I got my secondary black belt, I was my my teacher told me to learn Tai Chi, and in Tai Chi there are those two paradoxes: the softer you are, the stronger you are; the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are, and that completely changed my whole life. And it, it caused me, there was paradoxes caused me to walk away from a 22-year career as a successful civil trial lawyer to become a peacemaker. 
Um, and the thing that's so interesting is our culture, our culture sees emotions as being toxic for the most part, when, when in actuality, we are emotional beings with very, very limited rationality. And so learning how to listen to emotions and learning how, how to use, to be soft and vulnerable, to be strong and powerful, really sets people apart. And I'm, I've devoted my, my the last half of my life to teaching people these skills, whether they're inmates in maximum security prisons, where we train them to be peacemakers to stop prison violence, or I've taught at the Congre senior analyst of the Congressional Budget Office how to deescalate members of Congress. And that, so, and to and to your point, these are these are vital vital foundational skills of life. Really interesting. Agree. I, I say the word authentic, and that's that's the key to building those relationships, being authentic. Uh, that the people you're speaking to and and you know really care. Absolutely. One more question. What's one thing about you, Manny, that we would not know about unless you revealed it to us? <laughs> uh, one thing <clears throat> that you wouldn't know about me unless I revealed it to you. Um, you know, so that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> from a personal stand, from the personal standpoint, I'm, I'm a big fan of of karaoke. I have a terrible voice. Uh, but I, I do find myself uh, singing as, as much as I can. Um, you know, I, I learned I learned the the metric system earlier in life, and uh, I, I still think in Celsius, and I use uh, <laughs> kilometers and the, things of that nature uh, to the to the to the challenge of many of my friends here. Um, but yeah, I think uh, those are those are two things that you might not know about me if I didn't share. Really interesting. Thanks a lot. Well, Manny, it's great chatting with you. Thanks for showing up, and best of luck. Uh, as you commercialize your product. You've got a really good thing going here. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listeningwithleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Knoll. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.